Right, so we're going to be looking into the Bible uh, right now in the Gospel of John, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 20 um, and uh, verse 19. We'll read it in a moment or two actually, so um, I wanted to say a few things before we start to read uh, that passage. You might want to find it, I'll give you a page, it's on page 1089 if you're using the, the Bibles nearby. So uh, we're on, on a, we got a PowerPoint up, Bill? Thanks. Uh, great, thank you. Uh, we are part two of a little mini-series of, of, of Bible talks from uh, the New Testament uh, at the moment. And we've called it uh, Getting Going. There it is, getting going. Uh, We thought that uh, as we got into the new year, it would be good to be reminded, really, of of what we're actually here for as a church. What's the point of it all? Uh, What's, uh, you know, we do a lot of things together, don't we? We're quite busy in all kinds of activities. We come out of Christmas and we're busy in our lives and the church is busy as well and there's all things going on and everything gets... uh, Moving, but often it's good to just remember what the essential points of it all is. And we find that in what Jesus told his disciples to do in those uh, days after the resurrection. And we're spending these uh, three Sundays, we had a break last week for the baptism, thinking about some of those key statements Jesus made to his disciples about what the next step was, what he wanted them to do next. Now, it's really important, don't you think, to grab hold of, of the point of something. You know, if you don't know why you're doing something, it can be a little tricky when it gets hard. Um, I do, I done some, I've done some unusual things since I came to work here at Portsmouth Church. I won't tell you many of them. Um, I'm going to tell one of them right now. I remember about five, six years ago, um, I don't, is Cy Gibson here? Is Cy here? Is it? He's in there looking after Daniel. He may remember it because he was there. Mary and Cy and I were in the kitchen out the back, uh, the old kitchen, uh, before it got refurbished and, and, and then regularly washed in different ways by the, the water. Um, <laughs> we were back there in the old, the old kitchen uh, doing some stuff. I'm, I have to say, it, it, was, it was quite a tearful occasion, really. Um, but that's because there was about 100 onions involved in, you know, uh, we were cutting up onions uh, as part of it. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we had some baked potatoes to put in the oven, which didn't bake that well at the time. That's also been fixed now, we're glad to say. And Mary and, uh, and I were there, and I, I was standing at this thing, um, slicing onions, and my knees were really hurting because I've got a problem with my knees. And I ended up having to sit down and great cheese, about a ton of cheese it seemed, you know, grating, grating, grating. I sat there thinking, at one point I said, what are, why are we doing, what, what are we doing here, what are we doing this for? As sighs there and Mary, tears rolling down their face and I'm doing it. And, and, and then, well, of course, there was a reason. We were doing that because uh, later, uh, and we look back on it, it was a great evening, about 120 international students at the Christian Union at the university had a great baked potato and chili fillings and cheese uh, and uh, received hospitality and heard something about Jesus 
it was good to just get the point of it. Understand why we're doing it. It kind of helps sustain you. And if you're dragging yourself, maybe you're not. Maybe you enjoy, begin the new year with a skip and a jump and you're just, whoa, it's the new year. If you're like that, God bless you. But uh, if you if you're find it more, more <laughs> difficult to kind of drag yourself into the new year, or maybe if you're feeling, as a, as a church, I think we're feeling... Oh, when is the building going to be finished? Or, or you know, oh, the crèche is mouldy. Not, you know, not the people who work there, but, you know, <laughs> there's actually there's mould growing on the ceiling of the crèche at the moment. We look forward to that being sorted out, maybe even this week. We may be thinking, well, you know, let's remind ourselves of the point. Let's grasp the purpose. And that's why we're doing this little series. Two Sundays ago, Tony Watkins was here and he, he, he took us into Luke's account of Jesus' conversation with his disciples on the, the very first time they saw him together on that very first ever Easter Sunday. Do you remember Tony told us how that Jesus told them, and we read it, that God has a plan and that the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus as God sent Messiah is absolutely central to the plan. A plan that goes back to the very beginning of before even creation, we heard. It's a pretty all, all scope. We went all through it, didn't we, on that Sunday? Right to the very end of time and beyond it, it all centers around Jesus. And in the middle of it is the event of his, his death and his resurrection. And then they, there were these disciples there. They were right in it. They were part of the plan. And we, we heard that as we, as they uh, were called to do, and we in their steps live our lives for Jesus, we are right there, part of this amazing plan. Now today we're thinking also about that very first meeting that the disciples had with Jesus. And John in his gospel He's talking about clearly the same event, but he, he's picking on different things. Jesus must have been there with them for more than just enough time to make one statement and, and, and yeah, have a couple of mouthfuls of fish and then just go again. He was obviously there for, you know, we don't know how long, but there was obviously a big conversation that went on. And John, in his gospel, has picked up on some other stuff that, that kind of, uh, is kind of unique to John. But he was there, John was there, he remembers it. And we're going to read it, and it's in John 20 and verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, that's that day that Jesus rose from the dead, the very first time, not the first time we read it, the very first Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And obviously, a lot of other conversation went on. Uh, because the next thing John tells us in verse 20 is about what happens when Thomas, who missed it, comes in. So we're thinking about being with the risen Lord, first of all. Just let's try and get the impact of it. Put yourself there in the shoes of those disciples. That just about must have been the worst weekend ever, mustn't it, up to this point? Betrayal, confusion, the one they loved, uh, 
murdered in, in front of some of their eyes. The distress of it, the, the shock of it. And then, then that very day was confusing. There's a, the tomb is empty. Peter and John have been to look in it. And there's, there's, there's no sign of Jesus apart from the grave cloth. Says that. And then there's stories. Mary Magdalene comes back with a story that she's seen him. And then the, we know from Luke that two others come back and say, we saw Jesus, we, we, we walked with him on the road. And, and <laughs> I don't know about you, I think I've, I was one of those. I'd be thinking, why have I missed it? You know, it's always someone else who gets this blessing. And anyway, all the confusion and difficulty and disappointment, whoa, shock, numbness, the numbness of unexpected death, the emptiness the disappointment. And into that, Jesus comes and stands among them. The worst weekend ever just suddenly got better. Jesus is there. And he comes there and he has a word from him. He says, peace be with you. And that is a standard greeting. If you go into the Middle East and in other languages, you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a phrase that's still used. It's a regular phrase about peace when you meet someone. But of course it's much more than that for these disciples because just a few nights ago, Jesus had been telling them about how he was going away. That was one of the things that caused them such confusion and trouble really. And he'd been telling them that actually that although he was going to go away, he was going to leave them with peace. And if you just turn a couple of pages back to John 14, this is what he said. And they must have remembered it because it was only a couple of nights ago, although a lot had happened since then. All this I have spoken while still with you, verse 25. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And later that same night, if you turn the page in verse 33 of John 16, uh, on the top of page 1085, Jesus says again to the disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He promised he would overcome the forces that were against him and them. The overriding systems he was going to triumph over. He said. And now here he is. Speaking peace to them. Something new has started. There's a new peace in their experience. What he promised just a few nights before is kind of coming true. Even there, right for them. As he's there among them, bringing his peace. But that peace, you know, that the Jews spoke of when they greeted one another, shalom, was in itself anticipating something much bigger. It was looking forward to what God had promised in the prophets. God had promised that a a day would come when everything would be put right. And particularly in in the prophecy of Isaiah, you see it. Um, I'll just turn up just one right at the end of Isaiah, right towards the end of his prophecy. He kind of, this is one of the the occasions in chapter 66, verse 12. Um, Here it is. This is what the Lord says. He's talking about how he's going to renew all things, how he's going to put everything right one day, how everything's going to come back into, if you like, into the right place. And, and he's saying that his people will be at the center of it. And, and that was the great Jewish hope. 
Uh, and uh, verse 12, he says, I will expend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees as a mother comforts her child. So will I comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. This idea of peace coming one day. There are other references in Isaiah to that. And, and what Jesus is saying is this is now beginning. This kingdom has started it started in Jesus. And here is the man who had all through the last three years been talking about how the kingdom of God, the reign of God, all that God was going to do in putting everything back together was going to be somehow fulfilled in him. That man who'd been saying those things is back from the dead, right in the room, talking with them, laughing with them, eating fish, as you read in Luke chapter 24. And as one writer puts it like this, you know, the it is finished that Jesus cried out on the cross and was, was reflected in the, 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 the veil of the being ripped in two in the temple, meaning people were no longer shut away from God, now kind of finds its complete fulfillment with the declaration of peace from the risen king as the new age begins. It's quite a moment, isn't it? Quite an exciting point. And there are the disciples experiencing Jesus there alive with them the king it started now it's beginning the new age has begun and then Jesus pushes back his sleeves and holds out his wrists he opens his shirt or whatever it was and pulls it back and there's a scar where the spear went or he points to his feet and they see what they see that, that there are scars. Scars where the nails went. Scars where the spear went. Now, why is that? Why are those scars still there? Have you thought about that? Surely not so that they knew it was Jesus alone and nobody else, unless there was an identical twin Jesus going around who could have been mistaken for him, one that didn't get, better not go there. Dan Brown will probably write a book about that if we go down that way. No, no, no. There is a sense of recognition, but there's something more here, isn't there? It is to underline uh, the physical nature that he really is a real person alive. It's not a ghost. That's why in Luke, again, we, we know he eats a piece of fish. But there's more to it. Here's the thing. Our king bears scars. Think about the implication. Scars that remind us of how the peace has been brought. How has this peace that he gives been made possible? Well, Jesus has died, hasn't he? He's died on the cross so that there can be this peace. Again, in Isaiah 53 verse 5 we read, The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's why he shows them the scars, surely. Because it's the reminder of that was the cost of the peace. It's all tied up in what he's done on the cross. But more than that, I think, it underlines his experience in our world. We were singing about it. Our king bears scars. Our king has known suffering himself from the inside. Sorry, I'm a bit tired and therefore emotional. Although it is rather wonderful. 
our king has died. He's experienced suffering. And you know, he takes that into glory. So when we read uh, stuff about him in Revelation, the picture of, of, of Jesus in, in glory, there they are, the scars are there. Still there. We need that kind of king, don't we? If you've ever suffered, and I guess all of us have in some way, or we certainly will, one way or another, we need that. Someone called Edward Shillito wrote a poem called Jesus of the Scars. He was reflecting on uh, the savagery of World War I. It's kind of apposite, isn't it, this uh, year? The last two stanzas, I think it's the last two anyway, go like this. If when the doors are shut, thou drawest near, only reveal those hands, that side of thine. We know today what wounds are, have no fear. Show us thy scars, we know the countersign. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. The only God that has wounds is Jesus. And it's worth reflecting on that, isn't it? And we won't, I won't do that now, but you go and ponder that, the significance. Our God has scars. And as they take it all in, Jesus is there with them, alive, on the other side of death, bringing peace. So unsurprisingly, joy overwhelms them. It says they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Imagine what it was like for them. He's with them again. And, and you know, imagine trying to get your head around it. You just couldn't, could you? Let alone your emotions or whichever way you go, however you're wired. It, it, yeah, everything he, he said and bits of stuff that have, must have been like a kind of kaleidoscope. You know, you look into it and, and as you move it around, it, it makes a shape and then it, it goes into them. But, but shapes are forming and stuff's all coming together in their mind. But, but they've got it that Jesus is there. It's him. It's the Lord. It's their Lord. He's there right there with them right now. And they're just over overjoyed. And, you know, in many ways, if uh, you remember it, or if you haven't yet experienced it, let me tell you, becoming a Christian is a bit like being at that point. It's true. He's alive. He's my Lord. And in one sense, as believers, that's where we are now. We are full of joy that our, our Lord is risen. The one uh, who, who's, who died so that we can be forgiven, whose death is all that we need to be right with God and be welcomed and, uh, and know his love. A sense of belonging with him in that community of joyful, worshipping people. The new age dawning in our experiences. God with us. Jesus our Lord. We belong to him as we were celebrating last week at baptism, connected to him. That one, that Lord, that Jesus, our Lord. He's alive. That's where we are. Maybe not all the time, but I hope sometimes. We feel it. It's true, whether we feel it or not. We celebrate that in so many ways, don't we? Oh, and so we should. <laughs> Being with the risen Lord, then, have you got there? Is that where you're living? Is that where I'm living? 
maybe we need to come back to that again to just get that reminder of the fundamentals our lord king with the scars raised from the dead speaking peace to us now then jesus goes on to tell them something really important and this is where we talk about the purpose you might be thinking look you've been going over 20 minutes and you know you haven't started talking about the purpose yet and i'm over halfway you may be pleased to know <laughs> so why leave it so long you might be thinking i thought this was going to be a message about the purpose about the mission what's the point of it all well it's important surely to know that our purpose comes out of the joy of knowing jesus our risen lord that's where it comes from you know we're not in some organization that has a, a corporate mission statement that we slavishly follow because it's on our desks you know or, or for whatever of a reason no our sense of purpose comes out of the fact that we're overjoyed that we've seen the lord and so when he tells us out of that out of that that you know experience and encounter with him as we've understood the gospel as we've come to know him for ourselves well that's where our purpose it comes out of overflowing joy and if you check all the commissioning statements that we'll look at we saw it last time in Luke 24 it says the disciples were overjoyed in in Matthew 28 it says they were they were overjoyed for, for joy it says although some doubted and we'll see that next week joy is part of it please 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 let's not take joy out of mission and serving god surely there's nothing worse than than losing you know the joy out of what we're here for who wants to follow a bunch of people who are uh, uh, or go with a bunch of people who are following jesus hopefully um not themselves who are just doing it because they've got to so I want us to think in the second part about obeying the sending Lord. It might be going a bit quicker now. I don't know how you are on holiday. How are you on holiday? All right. Some of us, well, how do you like to take your holiday? Some of us like to take it really easy, just to relax completely. Um, and that's okay. Um, for a time, maybe. You know, uh, uh, you know, we kind of end up putting things in it, don't we? None of us, I don't think, just completely do nothing for too long. As human beings, we like to find things to do. I, I love to travel, but, uh, but the greatest kind of travel, I, I, I really miss the travel I used to do, which has a bit of purpose involved. You know, I go and meet people, new people, find out stuff, maybe write a couple of articles, do some things, come back and be ready to kind of put things in, you know, do stuff like that. It was, it was great and, uh, to travel, but with a purpose. You know, we go through changes in our lives. Some of us are retiring or retired. Um, and uh, you know you, you you one of the things about retirement planning is not that you you plan to do nothing but you decide what you know what what's going to go we need a purpose don't we we need purpose in our lives and Jesus tells the disciples that he's sending them as the father has sent me he says I am sending you just as Jesus was sent out into the world by, uh, by the father so he is sending his disciples so as followers of Jesus, whatever else we do, we have this purpose. We have this purpose of being sent by Jesus just as he was by the Father. Now, have you ever thought about that? That your life is about being sent by Jesus. So, you know, as you go to work, Jesus has sent you to that place. 
as you go into leisure, you're sent by him. In, in your family, where you live, in your neighborhood. And, and not just, you know, simply sent, you know, to, to make loads of converts. But, but before anything like that even might happen, uh, if you're not gifted that way, it probably won't. But, you know, you've got that purpose. Your life is connected to Jesus who's sending you, sending me out there's a purpose that underlies everything else we do. We're to be Jesus' sent people wherever we are. So tomorrow, if you go to work or in whatever you're doing, don't just go to work or don't just be sent. Have that sense of, you know, you could start the week saying, Jesus, okay, I'm not just going to go. I want to have that sense of you sending me. What for? What's, what's on your heart then, Lord? You know, how can I be a sent person rather than just a, 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 someone who happens to be there? And I want us to think a bit about what it means that if we're sent by Jesus as, as he was sent by the Father, that means surely that Jesus is a kind of model for us. Not that we do everything he did, or we can't die on the cross for one thing, or not that we do everything in exactly the same way, but our lives can be shaped by his So Jesus lived obediently to his father. He was open to all that God wanted him to do. He he had that sense of living in the presence of his father. He lived obediently. He was available to bring God's presence into situations. It says in, in Acts that he went around doing good, actually. And that's why we do good works. To be like Jesus. We don't do good works for our salvation, we do good stuff because we're recreated to be like Jesus. And we're, in being like Jesus, we do the kind of stuff he did. And he did some very interesting stuff. So, you know, we get involved in all kinds of things like getting alongside the homeless, like praying for people. You know, we, we pray for people's healing. You know, we, we just want to be there doing whatever Jesus would do in our situation, following Jesus, living the Christian life as if... Jesus was living it because, hey, we'll find out he is (laughs) through us. That's what we're sent to do. Now, of course, that might take us down the road of suffering because our king has scars, doesn't he? Suffering was part of it. So we see, in a way, a model, a life like Jesus, a ministry a bit like his that involves speaking words of truth, that does involve doing works of of kindness and good, that sees wonders as God touches people's lives and answers prayer and maybe does unusual and supernatural, miraculous things. And suffering, word, works, wonders and suffering are all part of our mission as we follow the Jesus way, a life like his. But more than that, Jesus breathes on them And tells them to receive the Spirit. And again, it's a reminder, isn't it, of how God created Adam. Remember in the beginning, Genesis, it talks about God breathed life into him, breathed the Spirit uh, life into uh, Adam. Now, some of you think, well, how does that fit in with Acts 2? I thought the Holy Spirit came on the church in Acts 2. And there's a lot of kind of debate about that. If you want to talk about it, you know, ask me, email me, or we'll have a coffee or something and go into the various theories. But, but probably the best way to understand it is that Jesus is kind of acting out a parable here. It's like a, a kind of dramatic anticipation. You know, the, the disciples were going to get the Holy Spirit, as it were, in their life and experience on the day of Pentecost. But Jesus, in doing this, 
makes it very clear where the Holy Spirit is from, from Jesus. How he is like the life of Jesus, the breath of Jesus at work in us. And of course, that too is following the model of Jesus. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? In Luke chapter 4, as he begins his ministry, his very first words as he reads um, Isaiah 60, are the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news and so on. So Jesus himself did all that he did in the power of the Spirit. He's sending the disciples. He's sending us the same way because he continues to work by the Spirit, in and through our lives. And he continues to send. There's stuff in the, the, the way this, the Greek is phrased that makes it very clear that, that Jesus continues to send. He, or rather, he continues to send, and Jesus continues to be the sent one. He says, as the Father has sent me, has this idea of not Jesus being sent has stopped, but that's carrying on. And he says, as the sent one from God, I am now sending you. And there's the little picture in it of, you know, um, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that loving community that theologians have called the Holy Trinity, uh, working together in love. And, And Jesus is saying, the Father sent me, I'm sending you, receive the Spirit. There's this idea that we as believers are are caught up in what some theologians have said, the the kind of the dance of of joy and love of, of the Trinity. The, the love of, of the Trinity, the community that is God, uh, expressing itself. And, and we're, we're kind of somehow touched by that. And even kind of that can be part of our lives and our serving. And then Jesus gives us a message to share. They're given a message. And the message is about the forgiveness of sins. Now, again, this cannot mean that the disciples can go around forgiving people's sins because it, uh, in, in other places it's very clear that we don't forgive sins. But the disciples are given the responsibility and the privilege of carrying a message about the forgiveness of sins. About how we can be forgiven and back into restored relationship with God again. It's what we heard last time. It's part of the plan. Remember? We heard last time in Luke. What was the plan? One of the, the end point was forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And here again is, 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 is Jesus saying the same thing. Um, uh, or John's kind of picked it up in, and put it in this way. That's the plan. What a privilege to be sent by Jesus with that message. Sins can be forgiven, you know. We can be back in relationship with God because of him. But what a responsibility as well. Because if we don't tell them, and nobody else does, how will they know that forgiveness? It's a responsibility too. And that's what we're here for. That's why we're here. As a church, we go as he sends us. We go his way as he did and indeed, as he still does. Let me give you an example. I read this in a magazine this week. Um, it was a little story told by uh, a guy called Malcolm Duncan, who's the uh, minister of Gold Hill Baptist Church, quite a well-known uh, Baptist church, uh, f- a little bit further north of here. He said, On my 30th birthday, my wife and I were in Rome. One night, we were coming out of a concert that hadn't gone well, very well, and we snuck out early. Across the road, there was a man and a woman and a little girl under cardboard in an archway. 
we were about to go over and give them some money or buy them a meal when around the corner came two Roman Catholic priests. They knelt down beside this family and opened their bags. One of them took out a primer stove and started to cook. And they put five plates out, not three, and they ate together. The other one opened his bag and took out a book. I think it was the Bible. Anyway, started to pray with them. Malcolm goes on to say, I've never seen a clearer example of the gospel. It was physical. It was relational. It was spiritual. It was biblical. It was Jesus-focused. It was egalitarian. And I decided that is what the gospel looks like. That's the picture I have in my mind, he says, as a church leader. As, as they plan stuff, they ask the question, is this going to do what those two men did for that little girl and that man and woman? If it isn't, let's not do it. The Jesus way. Truth, works of love, prayer, it's all there, isn't it? So let's be with the risen Lord this week, shall we? And let's be obedient to the sending Lord as we go into the, this week. Go into this week? No. Let's be sent into this week with him, like him, for him. Let's see what he does because it really is the main thing. May God help us as we do that together and support each other in it. Peter, back to you. Thank you.